It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KBMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Friday, October 27th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KBMR Evening News. In a kickoff to Halloween weekend, the California Report brings us along on a spooky stroll down Horror Row. Then we've got your local news and weekend weather report, which includes a wind advisory and red flag warning for some of our listening area. KBMR News Director Claudio Mendoza speaks to Nevada County's Office of Emergency Services Program Manager about how residents should prepare for said red flag warning. And we close out the newscast by looking at just what a so-called prescribed fire season entails. Keep listening for details on the Tahoe Fire and Fuels team. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. As Fresno Unified teachers prepare to strike next week, they have support from an unlikely source, substitute teachers who are supposed to take their place. KVPR's Rachel Livenall reports. The union representing Fresno area substitute teachers voted not to cross the picket line. Fresno Unified increased its daily rate for substitutes to $500 in anticipation of the strike. The district sought substitutes from across California in hopes of maintaining operations. Despite that, substitute teachers voted unanimously Thursday to support the Fresno Teachers Association. The vote means substitutes are encouraged not to teach, but they will not actually participate in the teachers' strike. The vote is the second of the week, following a nearly unanimous vote by Fresno teachers to authorize a strike. Fresno Unified says the substitute teachers union violated its agreement that it would provide teaching services during the strike. If all remains the same, the state's third largest school district will be on strike starting next Wednesday. For the California Report, I'm Rachel Livenall. Autonomous taxi company Cruise is halting driverless operations nationwide. Earlier this week, the Department of Motor Vehicles and California's Public Utilities Commission suspended permits for the company to carry passengers. That was because of a collision in downtown San Francisco earlier this month when a driverless Cruise vehicle struck and dragged a pedestrian. In a statement, Cruise says the most important thing for us right now is to rebuild public trust. The company says it will examine its processes, systems, and tools to better focus on safety. Halloween is coming up. For many people, it's just one evening of trick-or-treating and frightening fun. But in one L.A. County neighborhood, there's a two-block stretch known as Horror Row. It draws people looking to keep things spine-tingling year-round. From KCRW, Megan Jaberson reports. Even before the Mystic Museum opens at 11 a.m. on a Saturday, there's a crowd of at least a dozen people waiting. Elizabeth Williams is one of them. She has burgundy red hair and the Bride of Frankenstein tattooed on her forearm. I mean, I grew up reading Stephen King and Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark was on Nickelodeon. And so we kind of grew up, I think, in an era where it was fun to be scared. At Horror Row, you can buy costumes, decorations, and horror-themed cookbooks. Some of these places have been around for decades. Believe it or not, for a lot of people, it is a lifestyle. It is what they do, it's what they love, and it's what they enjoy. That's Jaleel Gardner, the store manager at the Mystic Museum. He says these fans are no different than sports or music fanatics. His favorite horror movie is the campy 1983 slasher Sleepaway Camp. 
Customers come to the Mystic Museum for books on witchcraft, 80s slasher film memorabilia, and Victorian oddities. Think taxidermy and real human skeletons. There's also a display of dozens of vintage Ouija boards and a Zoltar fortune-telling machine. Zoltar speaks. And horror can be more than just frivolous fright. Psychologists know that some people feel happier after a scare. Others find horror help them cope with real-life anxieties. For example, researchers at a lab in Denmark who study the fun of fear found that horror fans were better able to cope with the stress of the COVID-19 pandemic. Plus, here's another reason horror deserves our attention. Horror is a, is a great way to express what's going on in society. Del Howison isn't a sociologist, but he holds a lot of cred in the horror industry. He and his wife, Sue Howison, opened Burbank's first horror shop, a bookstore called Dark Delicacies. And they can count big names like Academy Award-winning filmmaker Guillermo del Toro amongst their fans. Here is all your receipts. Del Howison is making a sale, as he has for almost 30 years. He has long white hair and is wearing a black t-shirt with a goat skull and pentagram design. He points to monster movies from the late 50s to show what he means about horror and social anxiety. Anyway, that's the first time he got into the genre. Here he was at the movies as a kid without his parents, watching the 1958 supernatural horror film, The Case of the Faceless Man. Hiding behind your hands, but peeking through them. It was fun. Those monster films were using the fear of the other. American culture at the time was all about conformity. And if you didn't fit the norm, the message was clear, says Howison. You don't really fit in with us, so there's something wrong with you. And then you don't know that you're being indoctrinated into that because it's just everyday life. Fast forward to his adulthood, and he also sees a connection between the HIV and AIDS epidemic and the rise of vampire stories. And after 9-11 and the news images of survivors of the collapse of the World Trade Center, zombie stories took off. And now we just had the, the plague, and you're seeing a lot of plague stories. When he started the store, he wasn't sure if enough people would be into it. He still remembers the first author signing where they drew a crowd, and he thought to himself, Oh my gosh, there really are other idiots that like this stuff as much as I do. We've been around long enough that I think they kind of have a feel that this is their clubhouse. A clubhouse for the fun of fear. For The California Report, I'm Megan Jamerson. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, comprising its School of Medicine and adult and children's health systems working together to advance knowledge and improve lives. StanfordMedicine.org The James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, advancing the frontiers of ocean science, exploration, and discovery on the web at schmidtocean.org. 
And that is this edition of the California Report for Friday, October 27th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Brendan Willard, Christopher Beal, Jim Bennett, Catherine Monahan, and Seal Muller. Our producers are Izzy Bloom and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our vice president of news is Ethan Tovin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day. Let's take a look at today's local news. In a news release from Pacific Gas and Electric, the utility provider urges customers to prepare for possible power outages this weekend. PG&E says they don't predict the need for public safety power shutoffs. However, forecasted windy conditions could lead to the loss of power in the Sacramento Valley and foothills. A few storm safety reminders from the utility provider include If you see a downed power line, assume it's energized and extremely dangerous. Don't touch it or attempt to move it, and be sure to report it as soon as possible by calling 911 and then alerting PG&E at 1-800-743-5002. If you have to bust out your generator this weekend, be sure they're in well-ventilated areas. Use flashlights, not candles. Now's the time to stock up on extra batteries and be sure rechargeable flashlights are charged up. If you do experience an outage, PG&E says to unplug or turn off all electrical appliances, to avoid overloading circuits, and to prevent fire hazards when power is restored. In addition to these reminders, KVMR's news director, Claudio Mendoza, has more critical tips for this weekend's red flag warning. The most recent forecasts indicate a strong probability for gusty winds this weekend. That, combined with low humidity, has spurred the National Weather Service to issue a red flag warning for parts of the valley and the adjacent foothills. I spoke with the Nevada County Office of Emergency Services Program Manager, Paul Cummings, to learn more. Hey Paul, thanks for talking with me. Although we've had some rain, this red flag warning is a good reminder that we're still in fire season, huh? Yeah, thanks, Claudia. We are absolutely still in fire season, and we want to remind your listeners to to continue to stay ready. Uh, we just heard yesterday that we were uh, placed under a fire weather watch that was today upgraded to a red flag warning. For people who are not familiar with those terms, could you explain what they mean? What is a red flag warning? Yeah, so red flag warning just means that it's the National Weather Service's way of telling us that conditions are such that if a fire starts, it has a high likelihood of getting out of control. So these are the days that the public needs to be extra vigilant about not starting fires and also being ready to evacuate if there were a fire. So that means that there's going to be low humidity, high wind, and in some instances, high temperatures, which we don't have the high temps because we're in fall, but we're going to have some pretty significant winds that are potentially up to 50 miles an hour in places. And then that low humidity that's in the teens makes the fuels and things that want to burn very susceptible to fire. And so as we know, when the wind blows, trees come down, power lines could be a potential uh, ignition source. Uh, you may, so you may lose power. You may lose communications if, if your phone lines go down. And all those other normal human-caused uh, fire instances could cause a fire to really take off this weekend. How long is this warning projected to last? The red flag warning goes into effect Uh, Tomorrow morning at 5 a.m., Saturday, 5 a.m., will remain in effect all the way through 5 p.m. on Sunday, but the peak winds um, that I'm seeing are Saturday night. So really, this evening through Sunday evening, 
we, I would encourage your listeners to just increase their vigilance and their readiness. Let's talk about readiness. What are some of the steps that people can take? What are some of the actions that will, that, that will make people ready for a potential wildfire emergency? Yeah, so all the things we've been encouraging folks to do all year long. This is the time to make sure you fuel up your vehicle, check your go bag. You know, your go bag should have 72 hours of uh, food, water, medications, clothing, things like that. Review your evacuation plan with your family. This is the time to uh, make sure your cell phone's charged up. Make sure you check in with your five. If you know you're participating in find your five, this is when you might go down to the neighbor across the street or down the street and say, hey, not sure if you, you folks knew, but there's a red flag warning. You might want to tune in to KVMR and, and have your phone charged and be ready should something occur. Doing all the things that we've been asking people to do all year long, then there's some things you don't want to do. We don't want folks to uh, run their chainsaw, run their lawnmower, their weed whacker, pile burning, dragging chains, all those things um, that are hazardous all year long in fire season. We don't want them doing this weekend. Paul, you're program manager for Nevada County's Office of Emergency Services. Tell me what your office is doing to prepare. Yeah, absolutely. So the, the county's been tracking this weather system over the last couple of days. And so we communicate internally with our partners uh, like you know, PG&E, uh, Health and Human Services, our Emergency Operations Center team is aware of this information and, and is ready to support the community as necessary. Certainly, um, the Board of Supervisors are being informed um, we actually send out a National Weather Service email with all of the graphics and all the information. Um, I sent that out yesterday, and then we'll send it out again today, letting all of our stakeholders know. So these are going to be folks like the schools and the cities and municipalities, uh, nonprofits, that there is a potential weather threat. So it's really about just increasing the readiness level of everyone around us um, and then informing folks, informing the public, informing stakeholders about the potential threat. As I said earlier, this weather is a bit deceiving. It's cooler now and we've had some rain, but it's important to note that there have been big fires in the past around this time of year and they've ignited on red flag days. Yeah, that's right. For education for the public, there's a, the, the western edge of Nevada County is under a red flag warning, but the, the middle of the county and the eastern part of the county is not. But just because there's lines on a map doesn't mean that we're not all under a regional threat and that the that that threat could still affect us. So the river fire, for example, the part of the county where the fire started wasn't under a red flag warning, but you know, just a few miles away, there was a portion of the county that was under a red flag. So really we should treat a red flag warning as a regional concern, a regional threat, and then increase our community readiness. I appreciate your time today, Paul. Any final thoughts? I just think it's important that um, you know, we've, we've had red flag warnings in the past and nothing has happened. Uh, but this is a time of year when we can't let our guard down. As we recall, the campfire, sadly, uh, one of the, the greatest losses we've had in our state firewise was in the first couple of weeks of November. So we're not out of fire season. I would just encourage everyone to remain ready, check on your neighbors, and um, listen into trusted news sources like KVMR. All right. That's Paul Cummings. He's Nevada County's Office of Emergency Services Program Manager. Paul, thanks again. Thanks, Claudia. Let's take a closer look at that National Weather Service forecast Claudio and OES Program Manager Paul Cummings just spoke about. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight clear with a low around 36 degrees. Saturday sunny with a high near 61. Saturday night will be clear with a low around 39 degrees. There will be strong winds Saturday night with gusts as high as 29 miles per hour. 
Sunday, sunny with a high near 65 and gusts as high as 22 miles per hour. Sunday night will be clear with a low around 41 degrees. The National Weather Service has issued a wind advisory in effect from 8 a.m. Saturday to 2 p.m. Sunday for the Sacramento Valley and the foothills. Expect winds from 20 to 30 miles per hour with gusts up to 45 miles per hour. As we heard earlier in the newscast, these strong winds can down tree limbs and create power outages. Use extra caution when driving, especially if you're in tall vehicles. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight mostly clear with a low around 18 degrees. Saturday, sunny with a high near 40. Saturday night will be mostly clear with a low around 14 degrees and gusts as high as 20 miles per hour. Sunday, sunny with a high near 44. Sunday night will be clear with a low around 17 degrees. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight mostly clear with a low around 41 degrees. Saturday, sunny with a high near 68. Areas of smoke between 11 a.m. and noon, and widespread haze before 2 p.m. Saturday will be breezy with gusts up to 29 miles per hour. Saturday night will be mostly clear with a low around 45 degrees. Sunday, sunny with a high near 70. Sunday's windy as well with gusts as high as 26 miles per hour. Sunday night will be clear with a low around 39 degrees. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Nevada County and surrounding areas have seen prescribed burn after prescribed burn over the past several weeks. Coming up, KVMR News Director Claudio Mendonca gets the details about ongoing and upcoming preparedness and prevention efforts. Although this weekend is definitely not the time to put fire on the ground in western Nevada County, it is considered prescribed fire season by land managers. To that end, there's been a lot of good fire burning in the Tahoe region. I reached out to Lisa Heron, a public affairs specialist with the United States Forest Service, to learn about the Tahoe Fire and Fuels Team, which is a multi-jurisdictional organization that collaboratively manages prescribed fire and fuel reduction projects in the Tahoe Basin. So Lisa, I wanted to talk to you today about prescribed fire or prescribed burning, but before we get into that, Western Nevada County is under a red flag warning. I don't think that the Lake Tahoe Basin is under those conditions, Uh, but are there still prescribed burning operations scheduled for this weekend? It sounds like we may take a pause for the weekend due to the red flag warning over on the West Slope, but we are burning today. Okay, good to know. Lisa, tell me about the Tahoe Fire and Fuels Team. What is it? The Tahoe Fire and Fuels Team was formed in 2008 after the Angora Fire, And the goal of bringing all these land managers and other agencies together is to, you know, to reduce excess vegetation, otherwise known as fuels, in the wildland-urban interface and prepare our communities for the next wildfire. So the Tahoe Fire and Fuels Team is a partnership that involves 21 federal, tribal, state, and local conservation, land management, and fire agencies. We're really proud of what the work that the Tahoe Fire and Fuels team has done. Basically, we work, instead of working as an individual agency on fire preparedness and prevention, we work as a team. So we all have the same goals and, you know, we try to make sure our messaging is consistent so it's easily understood by the public. So basically, we work 
we all work together, you know, with the goal of keeping our our communities, our fire adapted communities in the basin safe from wildfire. Tell me about the types of burns that are done there in the Tahoe Basin. Sure. And actually, uh, right now, different agencies are conducting different burns. Down on the South Shore, our Forest Service firefighters are burning piles. And up on the North Shore, it's a combination of pile burning and understory burning. What's the difference between a pile burn and an understory burn? So in a pile burning, uh, piles are created when hand crews go into the forest and they thin the forest by hand using chainsaws and hand tools. And for those kind of fuels reduction operations, they pile the materials to be burned later. And when they do the piles, so, so the piles have to take time to cure. So typically when they create these piles, they sit for a couple years so they can dry out. And that's important for consumption of the piles. Have you ever tried to burn like green wood in your fireplace or wood stove? It doesn't consume very well and it puts out a lot of smoke. So they let the piles cure over a couple of years and then they go back and burn them. And with pile burning, the fire is mainly confined to the pile, although the fire can creep around on the ground between piles. Now in understory burning, that's a little bit different. That is actually where Areas have already been cleared of most of the excess vegetation or fuels, and firefighters go in and they actually put fire on the ground and, you know, burn the forest floor to remove remaining excess vegetation. So in understory burning, you know, the fire moves across the ground but stays within the perimeter of the unit. Regardless of what kind of burn it is, I know that there are a lot of variables that need to be accounted for. Tell me about that and explain what favorable conditions are as far as prescribed burning is concerned. Sure. Favorable conditions for burning include looking at a number of factors, such as the wind speed, temperature, humidity, moisture of the vegetation that they are going to burn. And so by looking at all these things as, as a whole, they can decide when and where it's favorable to burn. So they don't just go out and start burning anywhere. They study the weather patterns and they do create a burn plan for each burn that is implemented. And it includes all of these factors for them to decide when and where to burn. A lot of people are concerned about smoke. How does a prescribed burn manager work with the air quality district? That's an important part of our burn plan. Our fire managers work directly with air quality control district managers, which are usually on the county level. So basically, the fire managers develop a smoke management plan, which is part of the burn plan, and they submit it to the air quality district for approval before they conduct any type of burning. And so each time they put fire on the ground, the air quality manager has to approve the burn. And it usually happens on that very day. So sometimes we'll plan for a burn and the weather or conditions don't quite work out and the burn could be canceled because we are not able to get permission from the air quality district. You know, the reason for this is that we don't want to overwhelm our communities with smoke and we do our best to burn on days that minimize smoke impacts, but sometimes smoke is unavoidable. People, the the best thing for the public to keep in mind is that smoke from prescribed fire is of much shorter duration 
and much less intense than smoke from a wildfire. So typically, we see a couple days worth of smoke with an understory burn or a pile burn. Whereas if we have a fire, such as we saw with the Calder fire, we could have weeks of smoke impacts compared to just a couple of days. That was Lisa Heron, a public affairs specialist with the United States Forest Service. For KVMR, I'm Claudio Mendoza. That's our newscast for this Friday, October 27th. Listen to anything you may have missed on our website, kvmr.org, and connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Thank you.